HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Okay, and we are back. I am Hannah Forden, and I am joined by... I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler with Heritage Radio Network. And we're broadcasting live from the Le Creuset podcast studio at Charleston Wine and Food. Uh, Today, we're celebrating International Women's Day, and really, every day we're celebrating women. Um, But our lineup today is especially full of women in food and drink that inspire us, and a handful of really special gentlemen as well. Um, You can go to heritageradionetwork.org slash charleston2019 to see our full interview schedule. And special thanks to our sponsors, La Crusade and the Julia Child Foundation for making Heritage Radio Network on tour at Charleston Wine and Food possible. Awesome. And I'm about to introduce our guests, but our very first guest appearance comes from uh, the man behind Hannah who is staple gunning the carpet down um, in the courtyard across the way. In case you're wondering. But yeah, we are right here in the industry lounge at the Culinary Village at Charleston Wine and Food. And it is my privilege now to introduce our special guests today. Uh, First up, we have Chloe King. Welcome, Hi. Chloe. Hello. Hello. Chloe is the educator and tech at Counterculture Coffee. Um, and our second guest is Michael Mai, who's a master barista turned bartender turned founder and creator of Arabica Soda, which we'll explain a lot more about. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm glad to be here. How's your festival going so far? We're still, you know, pretty early on day one. Um, what's your kind of like first uh, couple of hours of Festival of Charleston been like? Well, the festival has been pretty crazy. Uh, There have been some wild people in town. I saw Kelly Kapowski from Saved by the Bell. Yeah, she was here. And she hasn't aged a day. uh, I believe she'll be joining us tomorrow afternoon if you want to tune in live. No way. You're kidding me. I didn't know that. For realsies. That's really cool. You're in good company. What's up, Kelly? And Chloe, how about for you? Yeah, um, it's also been very crazy for me. We have public tastings every Friday, and today it was just filled with a lot of -of out-of-towners, you know, and just traffic is wild. Um, But it's always really fun. I love it. Cool. Um, Well, I haven't quite cracked into the wine yet. I did have a Bloody Mary from the Open Table Lounge next door. Um, Thanks, Tito's, for that. Um, But we have a cool refreshment to uh, try out right now. So, Michael, can you tell us a little bit about Arabica Soda and uh, why this might be something that I'm excited to drink uh, at, we'll we'll still say it's the morning. It's the morning for us. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when you're going all day 
at the festival, you need something to like perk you up a little bit. So Arabica Soda, it's a dry, sparkling coffee-based beverage. Uh, we make it with coffee and also with cascara, which is the dried fruit from coffee plants. Normally it's thrown away, but uh, we buy it from farmers um, after it's been dried. You can make a really awesome tea out of it. Um, that's also called cascara. So we mix coffee and coffee cherry tea or cascara, mm -hmm. carbonate it, and that's Arabica soda. So it's really light, it's dry, um, super refreshing, and it's caffeinated, of course. So I'm can we try it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's <laughs> try it. And while we're trying it, I, I'm curious, what flavors does the cascara introduce that is different than what we're used to? Oh, it's a pop top. Do yeah. we have a? These are pop tops. Oh, does anyone have okay, a bottle? I'm oh, sorry. I ha okay. Yeah, I've got my. Um, it's coming. It's coming. It's a really beautiful bottle, you, I have to say. If you can grab my jacket right there, I've got a bottle opener in there, actually, the purple jacket. All right. Yeah. I'm sorry, what was it? What were you saying again? I was curious um, what sort of flavors the cascara, cascara brings in that you find complements yeah. the more traditional coffee that we're used to drinking. So the cascara is super fruity. Um, if you ever hear coffee nerds talk about like, this coffee tastes like apples, or like this coffee tastes like pineapples, or mangoes, or whatever, that's all totally true. But what the fruit that you taste from coffee is the fruit itself, like cascara. So um, you're gonna taste from the cascara like a really nice apple-y uh, mm. kind of flavor. You'll taste figs, uh, brown sugar. Um, because it's dried, it also has a kind of like that dried fruit quality, like a dried fig or like a, kind of like a tobacco-y thing going on too. So it's like um, fruity, um, with some really complex like uh, undertones of like dried fruit and brown sugar. Ooh, that's exciting. Um, it smells like really chocolatey. And, yeah. um, and so talk about the caffeine content. Yeah, here. so the caffeine content of cascara, uh, there is caffeine in it. Uh, it's actually a little bit less than coffee. Um, in our formulation of this beverage, the way we mix them, the two components together, you're gonna get just about the same amount of coffee, or I'm sorry, the same amount of caffeine as you would get in one cup of coffee. Okay, so pretty reasonable. Yes, yeah, yeah. it is pretty reasonable. Although, I'm not 100% sure about this, but I think like the same way, you know, people say a vodka soda gets you drunk faster. <laughs> the, I've always wondered if that's a yeah, myth or not. I'm not, you know, I'm not really entirely sure if that's true, but I feel like the bubbles really get the caffeine straight into your brain. Yeah. I um, we have a special extra guest jumping on the mic right now. Um, I just wanted to introduce Nate Collier from Le Creuset, who's provided us also with these mugs. And I wanted uh, Nate to just say a couple of words about these beautiful coffee mugs and um, to also be able to take part in the conversation and be able to ask you guys any questions as well. Welcome, Nate. Of course. Thanks for having me here. I just want to say I'm glad that you guys are here to be in the podcast studio that we're sponsoring with Heritage Radio Network. I love hearing content from makers like you guys. It's super amazing. We consider ourselves in the same camp, even though obviously on a much larger scale. Um, this product's delicious. It's Thanks, so man. balanced. It's not bitter at all. It's super smooth and interesting fact, the stoneware of these mugs keeps things cold the same way they keep a pot. So don't be afraid to drink your cold brew out of a coffee mug instead of a oh, plastic cup. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and 
Michael, tell what's like the lifespan of this project from kind of the idea evolution to actually now like you you know you are bottling you have a beautiful label. What's the timeline been like in the design and sort of what's next for Arabica Soda? Um, yeah, so we uh, I started messing around with this beverage while I was working at Mercantile and Mash. Um, we actually use these exact same or they they use these exact same Le Creuset mugs over there for a lot of their coffee stuff um, and I loved working with them um, but yeah I was I was kind of toying around with it in 2017 and at the end of 2017 um, I linked up with my buddy Chris um, who is also a big-time barista um, and a graphic designer mm. um, he I, you know, I wanted to hire him as my graphic designer and website designer. And I don't know if you're familiar with his work. Um, his name is Chris Nichols, but he's way too big time for me. Like he does stuff for NPR and South by Southwest. And so I was like, I really can't afford you. Do you want to just do this with me? And so we became partners. And in early 2018, uh, we began messing around more with the formula of the beverage and uh, trying to scale it up. Um, he was designing the label and uh, we released uh, in the middle of 2018 I think around July okay wow that's so still still fairly new yeah 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 so we've been on the shelf for about a year and a half maybe almost two years now and what's your next uh, kind of big milestone gonna be so um, we actually have kind of an announcement we're going to be uh, changing things up a little bit. We're going to be rebranding. Um, I can't tell you exactly what it's going to be called, uh, but we're going to be trying to, you know, change things up, uh, make uh, the beverage a little bit more apparent. Um, you know, I think people, I am in love with the name Arabica Soda. I think it confuses people sometimes. And uh, the word soda has a really sweet connotation. Our beverage is relatively dry compared to other soft beverages. Um, so we're going to be changing it up uh, in 2019 and uh, looking to distribute in more states. We're currently available in North Carolina and South Carolina, um, but we're looking at uh, Florida, Georgia, and Tennessee. We're coming for you. That's super exciting. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, so, Chloe, you're a coffee educator, and uh, you know a great deal about the traditions of kind of humans engaging with the coffee plant, and I think it's really cool what Michael is doing, which is like taking kind of an underutilized part of the coffee plant. Um, how did you kind of become interested in coffee and sort of embracing like cultural traditions around coffee consumption? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I actually got interested in coffee as a, a barista. Um, I started when I was like 18 years old. Um, and honestly, it was kind of just like a like a side job. Um, but the fact that, you know, you can connect with so many people in so many ways um, was kind of what keeps you hooked, I think. And like what you were saying, kind of that tradition of people and, you know, counterculture specifically was the first uh company that I took classes with so like I learned everything from them and um the more you learn about something and the more you kind of learn about like the history and um the importance like the global importance it has um yeah it's just cool to play a role in that so just continued on 
Yeah. And yeah. what's a day-to-day like for a coffee educator? Um, well, uh, I do a lot of, we teach a lot of classes. So, you know, I have, I have a pretty strict class schedule. Um, but we also do like hands-on training. So I do a lot of like one-on-one, just meeting with people, um, kind of, you know, figuring out what their weaknesses are and working on them with that. Um, but since I'm also a tech, I do a lot of like hard maintenance work, um, like going into coffee shops and fixing their machines and using tools and getting dirty. So that's a big majority of it too. It it sounds like that's a nice variety. Um, maybe it might be a little stressful. It is. Uh, How much of the time are you training coffee professionals versus the general public? Uh, Probably more so coffee professionals, um, but we do offer a pretty good amount of like home classes. So people that are just like coffee nerds, um, but maybe have like a different job, uh, they can come in and kind of learn things through us, which is really exciting um, because they're just, they're probably more excited about it than a barista sometimes because they're just like, you know, in it for for no benefit whatsoever, but to just know about coffee and drink coffee. Um, Yeah. Do you have a favorite, like a favorite fact or a favorite technique to teach people who are relatively new to coffee that is mind-blowing? I think people, you know, especially like home brewers, the biggest thing that they are so surprised by is like water quality and using the proper materials to like actually brew your coffee with. Um, you know, if you, we do, we do an experiment actually where we will taste coffee from like my house that I just put in a bottle and bring to work, um, and brew coffee with it. And it's like disgusting compared to filtered coffee or filtered water, you know, coffee. Um, Can everybody yeah, that always tell blows that people's mind when you do that. Exercise? I would say, yeah, yeah. I think people yeah, are surprised definitely. with how, yeah, with how, uh, how much your palate is actually developed, even though you don't think that it is. Um, if you have taste buds, you can probably pick up on those subtle differences, which is really cool. And I'm always curious to hear about the intersection between coffee people and wine people, and I feel like we're in the perfect setting <laughs> yeah. for that. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that the shop's been very busy this mm-hmm. week, and I, I, I love, I'm curious about what conversations you're having specifically with people who are approaching it with that palette and that perspective and kind of what insight they bring to the table. Yeah. Um, Well, it's interesting because, you know, people that already have a very refined palette specifically for wine are some of the most interesting people to show coffee to, Mm -hmm. I guess, if that makes sense, Um, because they're coming at it from such a different angle. Um, They already have the words and the descriptors. um, But it's funny because... To put it into perspective, we had a, um, a tasting, like a coffee tasting competition last week, and um, there were a lot of like wine people and like food and bev people. Um, and the people that actually won and did a really good job were like the average like software developers and interior designers that just are into coffee. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of cool how everyone comes at it from a different perspective, but you know, what's, they what's just use different that, words. That like if I or you know any of our listeners wanted to test our palate you know maybe there's not a coffee tasting competition happening every week in our cities but uh what's a good way to like maybe discover whether or not you have this more developed palate than you might think you do i have a good one okay yes i think if you can taste a washed versus a natural processed coffee side by side that's one really cool way 
to see like some very like different ends of the spectrum uh, with coffee because the natural coffees tend to really pop uh, with huge like fruit flavors um, and the washed coffees come through a lot cleaner um, and so it's a really cool way for you to be like oh my gosh like I totally taste the difference between these two yeah, what do you think, Chloe? Yeah. No, I agree. Because even if you aren't a coffee person, if you have those side by side, I think anyone would be surprised at how much they can tell. Um, I also always recommend, like, if you're not a coffee drinker, but you want to build your palate, um, like, eating an apple and using words to describe it that aren't apple words. Um, <laughs> things like that, like small little exercises are actually pretty accessible. I, I actually used to work for a winery myself too and we would tell our sales reps to go to the grocery store and just smell fruit so when they're using those words they have a reference back to you know say and same with flowers or anything else like that you can't describe something as being floral or fruity if you don't have that reference to go back to so even mm. just smelling things and becoming familiar with them right. from an ingredient perspective is huge. Uh, and Nate I'm curious to know a little bit more about how a big company like Lookerset, who's a, usually you know really engaging with um, kind of home consumers, but also with restaurants, how do you engage with something like the coffee industry as a whole when you're thinking about um, functionality and design of products? I think you know typically um, it's something that we approach from both ends of the spectrum. Um, on the cookware side, we involve the professional sector a lot more. We have easy access to chefs and we're using a lot of professional kitchens. On the homeware side, which we're growing quite a bit, is um, is definitely directed more at the home consumer. And so we don't try to replicate what a real barista is able to produce if you go to a coffee shop. Um, obviously, we love them to serve coffee in our mugs, but we can't, we don't have that expertise. Um, it's more for the home uh, person. And obviously from an aesthetic standpoint too, but we want to be functional. Um, so we take all of that into account um, and we'll interact more on the on the home side with the people that enjoy their coffee at home. But offering mugs, French presses, we've got some pour over um, things coming out as well. So keeping in touch with those trends and how people want to drink their coffee or tea or any other beverage is important. Um, but I think it's different from a cookware versus tableware perspective for us. I, I, I love that you guys are all about color and um, you know I think about a lot like the the sort of visual experience of food and drink. And um, I would like to ask all three of you if you think that um, the color of the mug or the design of the mug that you're drinking from is going to affect your coffee taste perception and if you've tried that. Because um, I'm looking at sort of our different lineup here and I'm, I'm very curious about this. So I'll say, I think the color is probably more psychological. Um, you look at something yellow, you might automatically think that, and this is just my uh, unscientific perspective on it, you might think it's more bright or some sunshiny versus a, a brown mug that you might give you some more earthy connotations. But from a shape perspective, and again, this is wine glasses and mugs, I think the thickness of the mug definitely has um, an effect on the texture of the beverage in your mouth. So we definitely do a lot of research on heat retention versus weight of mugs and thickness of mugs and how it comes off in the palate. Um, and so I would say that probably has more of an effect than the color, um, but uh, everybody has their own favorite color mug and you might fight over it at home or something <laughs> like that that you want to drink out of. Yeah, I, I agree with Nate. I have always said that uh, I, I'm a big proponent that um, people eat with their eyes. And when you see something, you're going to 
draw you're going to go ahead and draw a conclusion about what that thing is going to taste like before you put it in your mouth and whether it does or doesn't match that perception your taste is colored by what you see for sure um, so yeah like I think having a great looking mug or like if you get a beautiful cappuccino with like great latte art on top you're excited and you're like oh man this is gonna taste great as opposed to like you know something that's a little bit more mundane Totally. Um, it reminds me of a time where I actually tried an espresso um, in a white cup and a yellow cup, just like totally not intending to do an experiment. And um, in the yellow, from the yellow cup, I was like, why is this one so much more like buttery and like smooth? Yeah. And there was no difference. It was just the cup. And that was like the first time it had really hit me that I was, you know, it's just all in your head. <laughs> That's so interesting. Your mind really plays tricks on you that way. <laughs> did, did that like prompt you to want to do a broader experiment? This, this might be like the yeah. next big thing. No, yeah. Have I mean, I think it's just more of like a throughout my time in coffee, kind of realizing how I've been perceiving everything that I've been tasting. Maybe not one specific experiment comes to mind. But yes, that would be a good, that would be a good idea. I should. And I'm curious, Michael, I mean spinning off of this um you know it the bottle that arabica soda arabica soda is in is kind of like a beer bottle but it has like a very fresh tropical graphic so i'm curious what your i know you said you partnered with a graphic designer but what were your thoughts in terms of how it looks on the shelf and how that's going to affect the way that people are drinking and tasting yeah it? definitely we really wanted it to uh, pop off the shelf uh with those bright colors um and kind of like get you ready for like a bright fresh beverage mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of pinks on the label there's a lot of cool blues um, it's got a pink top um, so yeah uh, like I said before Chris uh, designed all of that for us um, and he really you know I think he did a great job and sort of like conveying what the beverage is gonna taste like before you even open it really um. I, I like how you call it a genre-bending carbonated beverage, and I think that's like a cultural touchstone of this moment, and it's really, really tapped in. Um, Thank you. Uh, so besides the sort of like obvious, um, this is a sort of coffee beverage that's blended with a refreshing soda, what, what are some of the uses that you see for the product? Um, so we have seen, uh, we actually had a cocktail competition for Arabica Soda last year at um, DAPS, uh, which is this really awesome diner uh, downtown. Um, and we saw, it was a really, really interesting um, competition because the bartenders could only use low ABV components. Um, there were no like, you know, true spirits um, in the competition. And we saw a lot of people mixing with like Amari um, and bitter liqueurs and um, uh, things like that. And so it was really, really cool to see, you know, Arabica soda with Cardamaro and like Arabica soda with Montenegro. And like, I definitely see it um, as a, in uh, cocktails for sure. I mean, I think it goes great. I love to make, I like to call it a double Americano. Um, the Americano cocktail is uh, sweet vermouth, um, Campari and soda. You do sweet vermouth, Campari, and Arabica soda. It's a double Americano. I just think that's funny, too, because that's something you would order at a coffee shop, yeah. a double Americano. It's a total coffee term. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 
That sounds delicious. I have like a I have a guilty um, weakness for Manhattan specials, but I think you just totally like not. I, I'm done. I'm over them. We're breaking up because <laughs> um, this is such so much better in terms of a, a coffee soda. No, Manhattan special is really cool though. It's yeah. like you know, it's the original like sparkling coffee beverage as far as I know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've seen too many on the market. No, there are definitely some on the market now. Um, but uh, Manhattan Special is like the OG, know, the OG for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to touch a little bit about um, food waste and like what happens in the coffee production process, and maybe some other innovations that are kind of coming along. Um, and Michael, maybe you could start and just touch on how your product uh, might influence sort of waste along coffee production scale. And then um, Chloe, if you have anything to add about other technologies or other products that are coming online, I'd love to know more. Yeah, uh, well, I think that uh, the simple fact of the matter is that almost all of coffee fruit is either thrown away as um, waste or and I, some of it is diverted to use as compost. Um, but it's crazy because it's so delicious and it's so good for you, you know, um, taking some of that out of the uh, out of waste and, you know, preparing it for the market and making it great for consumption, I think is uh, a way that we need to look at um, increasing sustainability in our food systems for sure and um, the simple fact is that there I, from a lot of what I've read there's usually more waste per pound at a coffee farm than there is actual product um, so if farmers can sell fruit um, and make money off of that you know that's a uh, that's a, a stream of revenue that they didn't have access to before. Um, and I think that creating a demand for that product is important um, in our market uh, for that reason um, and for sustainability. And just because, I mean, cascara is super delicious. Yeah. What do you think, Chloe? No, I definitely agree um, with especially like the usage of different things you can kind of produce on those farms. Um, but it's interesting because I. I can't think of a specific product that is is helping with this, but people are becoming more aware of the fact that, you know, coffee farmers are in a really terrible situation right now where they're not able to produce as much as they once were, and that's just, like, proving itself to become a bigger thing. Um, so people are becoming aware of how coffee isn't something that you should just waste, um, and not just coffee, but just things you use in a cafe even. Um, you can't, you know, even like with using more mugs, like Le Creuset mugs, uh, using things like that instead of to-go cups, like all of these aspects are kind of coming to light and people are realizing that. Um, and I think the biggest part of specialty coffee that I love so much right now is everyone's awareness about like the global impact um, of what's going on and, and ways that we can be better and do better. Um, yeah, which I guess, you know, like I said, not really a product, but more so just people coming together and doing a really good job. Yeah. Awesome. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time, but that was really interesting. And um, I'm excited to see what's next, you said, for the rebrand, Michael. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll keep be an on the lookout. Awesome. Well, thank you so much to our guests, um, Chloe King and Michael Mai, and for Nate for joining us. Thanks and for everybody. our very special guest, this enormous Le Creuset mug, that which is crazy. VIP. I know um, you guys can't see Nate, but he looks exactly like Alton Brown, season two, good eats. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, with.
appreciate that. Bit. Thank you. Huge, <laughs> huge, huge thank you to yes. uh, Look Safe for sponsoring us today. Of course. Yes. And, We're uh, so grateful. And thank you also to the Julia Child Foundation for making Heritage Radio Network on tour at Charleston Wine and Food possible. I'm Hannah Forden. I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler. We um, will be back in a few minutes with more live interviews from Charleston Wine and Food. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.